Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is a podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today's show is with Ryan Gaiman, and it was a really special podcast. Today, we talked to Ryan not only about his really, really fast running. This guy is a two, like high 220s marathoner. Um, he cut that down, had 11-minute PR at Boston, all that amazing stuff that we love to talk about. But in addition to that, Ryan is autistic, and he uh, was first diagnosed to be on the spectrum when he was four years old. He had a really tough childhood uh, working through uh, just the challenges that come with that diagnosis, especially for not only him, but his parents as well. And we talked all about that and also what running means to him as an outlet for um, for being on the spectrum and just a lot of the sensory issues that he's had to work through and also what happens when he's injured because the outlet can be taken away just like that. You know, and running injuries are common to us all and Ryan's going through one right now, which can be pretty tough. So this was a, a new kind of episode for me, a really special one, and I'm just just super excited to bring it to you. Before we do that, though, I want to give a shout out to Allie Kaminiti. She was on the podcast a couple months ago. She's a fantastic runner, but also a therapist, and she's putting on a mental endurance training course for the mind, right? So this, the, the idea that, hey, all of us can get better uh, with just how we process our running, our goals, our frustrations, and all of that. I'm going to be taking this course, and I'm just really excited about it. So, Allie, I told her that I would you know, give her a little shout-out here on the podcast. If you want to give it a try, I certainly recommend it. I can't wait for it. So it's basically a Zoom call every two weeks and three solo Zoom calls as well, and I just cannot wait for this. The mental game is something that I have struggled with for a long time, and I'm so excited to get Allie's help with all this. You can find the link in the show notes. Or you can just go to mindrunnercoaching.com and you can get all the information there. But again, the link will be in the show notes. And when you go and you register for it, just say you learned, learned about it from, from uh, the Rambling Runner. You'll see that as the last question in the registration page. All right. Now, let's get into my, my podcast episode with Ryan Gaiman. All right, Ryan Gaiman, welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate the invite. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, I'm me too. So you you actually did an interview with my good friend and relay teammate uh, Marcus Brown on his podcast, A Runner's Life. So people should also go check that out. I'm, not, I'm gonna try to make sure that we don't replicate that conversation, right? Like, there's no point in you doing the same conversation twice, especially with a friend of mine. So that was you know you guys did a great job, and Marcus um, is such a fabulous guy. So I appreciate you coming on here. As people know, as I say in the intro, we always talk to talk to dedicated amateur runners who are doing extraordinary things and you my friend are always doing extraordinary things you are an incredibly fast athlete that is for sure so i want to can't wait to talk to you about your whole running life um and in other parts of your life as well so this is going to be really fun but before we get into it we we're just talking offline about what you're going through right now i mean i know i don't want to talk about injuries the whole time but like this is this is a great example. Like you're someone who's running the two twenties in the marathon, and you're dealing with the same stuff we're all dealing with. So, so what's going on right now with 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 your running and with your your your, your current injury status? Yeah, so uh, injuries are unfortunately a part of the process, as so so many runners out there know. Um, and I've had my fair share of them. Right now, I am nursing a bum left Achilles. There's a little bit of tendinopathy going on in there. Um, I was on a very high high after Boston 
and gave myself all of like four days after the race before I dove right back into really hard training. And then in early June, I took a trip to Boulder and got to meet and run with some amazing people. It was a super fun trip. And I overdid it by a long shot and just kind of continued to hammer and pound and ignored some of the like, oh, it's a little stiff in the morning. It's, you know, took a half mile to loosen up in the runs, kind of ignored some of those early onset signs. And now I've had, I think we're coming up on eight weeks of not being able to do the running specific work and training that I was really hoping to be doing this summer. Gotcha. All right. So tell me about Boston and how you said you went, went really well. What were your expectations going into the race and how did it play out? Yeah. So, well, my expectation started with, let's just get back to Boston. I ran my qualifying race with a little bit of plantar fascia issues. So I didn't have a great buildup and qualified with a low 240. So that put me in corral two for the starting line at Boston. And yeah, I having some mental struggles, some anxiety, just dealing with some mental health issues and got back to running on the trails and trying to find the roots of running for joy again and taking the pressure off. Then, you know, one thing led to another. I was like, oh, I'm actually getting kind of fit here. Let's start dialing in the goals. And it became pretty quickly clear that I wanted to break two and a half hours. This was a record that people in my track club had been trying to break for a long time. Um, so that I'd say about two months before Boston became the clear goal, like let's get two and a half hours. Um, so that was the goal leading into it. And then the race exceeded that I ran 227 and was just absolutely thrilled. Um, got to celebrate with another friend of yours at the finish line. Um, I came back to the line and he was not far off and we just had this super special moment that I'll remember for a long time, big embrace, you know, shouts of adulation and yeah, so that's that's kind of a quick walkthrough of the Boston experience, and it was best race I've had by far. So wait, so who who would you celebrate with? This is news to me. Peter Prokma. Oh, but you you oh, Peter Prokma. Yeah. I had no idea. Oh my god, that's hysterical. So you met yeah, like, so you met like half the relay team already. I have, yeah. Um, and when I was in Boulder, I was working with Chris Lee, and he works with another one of your relay team members. Um, Laura, I believe. Okay, Laura Thweet. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, the strength yeah. work with her. So I feel a little bit connected <laughs> to Relay already. Oh, there um, you go. That is great. So, so, I ran, so, oh, sorry, keep going. Sorry. I ran into Peter on Saturday just randomly on Newberry Street. Um, I had seen on his socials that he had purchased a special Boston sweatshirt. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw the sweatshirt. And I was like, wait, I think that's Peter. So <laughs> just completely out of the blue, I shout, Brockma! <laughs> <laughs> and he turns around has no idea who he's looking for and i'm like waving kind of wildly and we have this lovely chat on newberry street and i see him in the race probably with about 2k mile and a half 2k to go and you know move up on him pass him we finish not that far apart and then got to celebrate at the line together and that just meant the world to me and it's a super cool way to share the finish line with somebody who i read a lot of his writing in preparation for Boston. And so I felt like he was already a part of that experience. And then to be able to celebrate with him at the line was just icing on the cake. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with like that feeling of getting to know somebody remotely through their work. Um, that is, it is really a special thing. Like there's so many people that like, I 
either read their writing or I listen to their their podcasts or or stuff like that, or even like read their their books or their audiobooks. And you definitely had even though like they don't know you, like you have that physical connect not that physical, that like mental connection with like, hey, mm-hmm. they've gone through XYZ and you you know, you try to like make the the same comparisons to yourself. But you did something that is so hard, right? Of like, all right, running really well, running like beyond not beyond what you've done previously, but like, you know, running exceptionally well at Boston is very tough, right? People go there oftentimes with certain goals and you never hear a lot of people, you know, reach their goals in a marathon, no matter what, especially you don't see many people go into Boston and reach their goals. It can just be a, such a tricky race course and the emotions going into the weekend and you're on that high, you're in Boston and you're spending all this social and mental energy in the days leading in. It's just a tough race to run, to run your best. So, Looking back on the experience, what were some of the things that you t- took away from your execution on that day that led to you having uh, the kind of time that you did? Uh, number one, the buildup. I got a large chunk of time that I wasn't injured. And for me, that is pretty rare. So having a consistent buildup, I, I missed one day of training in the entire build. Like it just, as far as marathon builds go, it, it's as good as it gets. Um, so having that mature injury free, consistent nail workout, nail workout, recover, well, recover faster, keep going, having that kind of buildup was so, so crucial. Um, number two, I've never gotten the fueling right. And I got the fueling right at Boston made all the difference in the world. I did three marathons before Boston, every single one of them. The last 5k was just a train wreck. Um, Boston, I felt the strongest I'd felt the entire race in the last mile. Like just, that was flying. It was so much fun. Um, Number three, I did more mental preparation, more visualization, more course research. Um, I had a great support team through my parents and some friends. Um, Had one friend come out and get me bottles on the course as well as the gels that I was able to carry. Uh, so those, those three things, the, the build up, the support team, the nutrition piece, the fueling dialed in. Um, and yeah, as, as I was getting within a month to Boston, I'm, I was starting to realize like, this is the fittest I've ever been in my life. Like if things go right, if the weather cooperates, if, if I can execute, it's going to be a special day. And it was. It sure was. And for a lot of people, the pacing can get tricky where it's, it's, it's easy to go out hot in a lot of marathons, right? It's even especially easier. Especially at Boston. Especially with Boston because you have that downhill first three to five miles and just the emotions of the day, right? So you put those together. It's so easy to go out hot in that race and, and overexert yourself. And I heard, uh, I think it was David Melly talking about how like a lot of people too will like, they'll get to the halfway point and they'll be like, all right, I'm halfway home. Now I'm going to start speeding up. He goes, but those miles three to 16 or three to 15 and a half, like that's where people often overexert themselves, like right before they start to get to Newton and all of a sudden they're in Newton and they're like, "Uh Oh, like I didn't save enough. So how did you approach the course from an execution standpoint? Uh, well, I talked with my coach and we had a plan. It's like, you know, through the first 15 miles, we're going to try to roll pretty consistently in the low to mid five thirty range, bank a little bit of time. Don't waste all of that nice part of the course, but don't get too overzealous. Um, turns out, and I told Marcus this on his pod that my watch, I had it loaded, it got bumped, it unloaded itself. And I didn't have any GPS stats for the first 17 miles. 
no idea what I was running at all. Um, so I rely, I split my watch each mile marker. Like I had the stopwatch function going. Um, so I relied on the mile markers and about four miles in, I found a pack that was running consistently and I was able to like take, <laughs> take the panic button down a little bit. And it's like, okay, this group is running consistently where I need to run. But the first four miles was a lot of guesswork. Um, and I've always been decent at hills. We have a super hilly districts and states course in high school. Oh yeah. Tell people really... where you live. I should say, tell people where, where you oh, live. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we have a super hilly postseason championship course for high school. And I was a skinny, not fast, not powerful, you know, the typical trying to weigh 110 pound runner in high school. Um, but I was good on hills. So I'd always start slow and then pass people on the hills. And I feel like Boston plays to my strengths there. And I did a lot of lifting in preparation for Boston. Um, and I mean, I, I honestly didn't feel the hills hardly at all. Like I felt like I could just soar up them. I was not expecting that at all. Me and my coach were like, you get to the top of heartbreak with your slowest mile being, you know, 615, even 620, you're probably having a pretty good day. My slowest mile was 554 on heartbreak. Wow. Um, and I recovered my pace like right off the top of it. I thought I would give myself a half mile to recover and try to fall back into a 540 range. I was down at 525, 530 right off heartbreak. It, I mean, the entire race was, <laughs> it was a dream. I, I kept on pinching myself in the race, but yeah. One more question about Boston. Um, you mentioned that you finally dialed in the nutrition in the correct way. So I have to ask, what, what were you taking in and what was like the timing of the, of the nutrition? Uh, I used the Morton 160 or... Not 160. That's the drinks. I used the Morton Gel 100s, the non-caffeinated version, just the regular. I had one gel 15 minutes prior to the race, and then one gel about every 25 or so minutes. So I think I'm trying to remember if I took six or seven. I think it might have been seven gels, including the one right beforehand. I had one of their 160 drink mixes. And then one electrolyte mix from LMNT electrolytes um, that I got on the course. So I had the first drink around mile nine and the second drink at the kind of flat section through the Newton Hills around mile 19. So did you carry a bottle at all or were you just taking stuff um, on course? Uh, I carried, I started with three gels and then took the gels at the... Um, deposits along the course and i had a friend who got me a bottle at mile nine and mile 19 and then that's nice the that was so super was, nice yeah was it the same friend was he able to have to like figure out how he's going to get from nine to 19 or did you have two different people uh well we had three spots planned and she only made it to two so gotcha. she made it to mile nine and she made it to mile 19 and what was the other spot that was enough uh we were trying to get one right around like 13 14 Somewhere right before oh, okay. Newton. Yeah, but that's tricky. <laughs> Super tricky. Was she two, taking two public transportation? Was, was she driving? Like, how was she trying to she make it happen? Driving all over the place. <laughs> Got a very um, slightly sketchy parking spot somewhere in between Newberry Street and like a dumpster <laughs> right oh, after the race. But we didn't stay long enough to get ticketed. So that's good. 
That's funny. That's funny. All right. Um, well, hey, congratulations on an awesome, awesome performance. So you run 227 in Boston. That's a huge deal. Now, for amateur runners. It's an 11-minute like, PR. 11-minute PR. That is insane. That is insane. Yeah, it was so, absolutely So you nuts. have that, and you're like, all right, you go into this race originally at the beginning of the cycle thinking, all right, I just want to qualify for Boston again. All of a sudden, you run 227. What does that do to your, like, your goal-setting, like, Mm-hmm. Your goal setting range and just the paradigm that you view yourself as a runner in terms of what you think is possible. Yeah, well, I mean, as P- as Peter says, it's like an amateur marathon is barrier of distinction trying to get under two and a half hours. Um, I've gosh, since the first day I ran, I've had a goal of making an Olympic trials team, like of being able to race in the Olympic trials. Um, it's a lofty goal. Sometimes I kind of wonder like what business I have having it, but it's there and it's something that I'm going to regret not pursuing. So having 227 was a very validating performance. Like it's still nine minutes or so off. There's still a lot of real estate there, but like it it's in the zone of like, okay, if I stay healthy, if I get a couple consistent years here, we might be within striking distance. Um, so it kind of turned the dream a little bit more towards a goal. Um, and so that was really exciting. Part of the reason why I jumped right back in the training <laughs> afterwards um and yeah so my my goal coming off of boston was i wanted to try to run 223 224 definitely sub 225 we'd see how far down we could dive at chicago um at this point it is looking like i'm gonna have to scrap my fall and focus on like getting stronger clearing up a few biomechanical issues like doing it right and if unless all of a sudden the tendon starts responding really well and we get get rolling here pretty quick. I think the next build up is going to be Boston again. Um, which is okay. Like that that's fine. If we'll it'll take as much time as it takes. But I my my plan was Chicago and then kind of a victory lap in New York a month later. Um, but that that's not looking quite so realistic anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously if you start ripping up too quick then you just you know, at that point, you're risking just continuing the the injury issue that you're having right now. So, I mean, the the cautious mm-hmm. approach you're you're taking absolutely makes a lot of sense. And I always wonder, going back to like that, the goals and the time. You know, people in your at, at your level, right? Someone who's running, you know, in the two twenty seven ish range. I feel like there's like not there's obviously more than two options, but I feel like you can, people can go two different ways, right? You can go the way that you described that, that Peter wrote about and that he went in terms of like, all right, I'm going really hard for the OTQ. And I feel like there's the other way to go of like, all right, like you could also with that time potentially go out and like, say, try to win like a smaller marathon, right? Like there's plenty of marathons where like the male winning time is around two thirty, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in, in around that range. So obviously like if you go do that, like, you know, it's not the kind of same environment of like, all right, I'm going to CIM to run with a pack of people and, and see if they can pull me along. Like, this is more of like, I'm out there by myself. Like, I'm not maximizing the opportunity. I'm more of like, hey, I'm going to race to win. And it always seems like there's no perfect answer for this sort of thing, but it does seem like two very different ways of approaching it. Hmm. Are you asking which one I prefer? Which way? No, I really wasn't even a question. I guess I was just oh, throwing okay. it out there. <laughs> I, I like the big marathon feel. I, I really don't have any desire to run a small one. So, 
There's my answer, if you're asking. There you go. And that, and that makes all the sense in the world, right? Because I think, especially considering the success that you've had at a, at a big major marathon, um, why not continue it if you if you can? That is for sure. Now, one of the things I was excited to talk to you about as well is that you're one of the few runners I know at your level who's also autistic, which is something that I, I, I'm so glad to talk to you about. And, and you've been very open and you've shared a lot about this in the past. And so of your parents, that it was a very challenging experience when you were a youngster trying to go through this. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about this just to, just to set the stage for what running was able to do later on in your life. Um, yeah, great question. Uh, I personally feel that if you have a story that can provide hope or that other people could relate to, there's not much point in not in not sharing it. So I'm happy to share. And it's my hope that it can be beneficial to others. That's, that's the whole point of all of this. That's the point of my running too. Um, I really appreciate that. Cause like, as you know, like one in 44 American, you know, one American, one in 44 kids are diagnosed with autism. So this is a big thing, not only for the kids, but also the parents. So like mm-hmm. being able to, to oh, talk definitely. about this and extrapolate out, I think can be super helpful for so many people. Yeah. So I was born in 92 and at that time there, I mean, people knew what autism was, the knew what Asperger's syndrome was, but it wasn't, it was prevalent, but it wasn't as well known. Not as many people knew about it, knew how to diagnose it, knew the signs, the symptoms, the tells, all all of that. Um, We were lucky enough, we we hosted international students quite frequently in our home. And one of them, I believe, was a psychology major and noticed some signs in me and told my parents, hey, you should possibly get him checked and tested, you know, for, for Asperger's syndrome. And they did. And I was diagnosed at age four. Um, at, at 18 months, though, prior to all of this, I should backtrack a bit. I was diagnosed with severe sensory integration problems. So smells, sights, sounds, textures, feels, tastes, movements, like all sensory input was very challenging for me to the point of like, I couldn't be outside without sunglasses on. Car rides were absolute hell like the the sensory integration being able to process that was almost impossible at that time um so at age four i'm diagnosed with asperger's uh to clear up any confusion that's no longer a diagnosis it was completely removed um now it's just levels of severity along the the asperger's sorry the autism spectrum um so yeah i'll just rattle off a few facts of where i started uh, I was not I was nonverbal till about age five. Um, the doctor who diagnosed me informed my parents. He said that I would never be able to write. That my reading level would stay below fifth grade. Um, I'd have severe learning challenges. Uh, not be able to pick up well on social cues, athletic coordination, fine motor skills. You know all the standard things that come to mind when we we think about people on the spectrum. Um, and all of that was very true. It took. <laughs> Uh, a long, long time to learn motor skills, to learn coordination, um, things as simple as learning how to cross midline, you know, right arm over to the left side of the body, vice versa, curtsy, lun- curtsy lunges, that kind of thing. Um, relatively basic movement patterns. Should, should I fast forward to running? Should we, should we hop, right, hop right to there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so I did my first run when I was 12. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, we hosted international students quite frequently. It was the work my dad was involved in. And when I was 12, a businessman from Spain came to study English at a place close to where we lived and stayed with our family. 
His name was Alberto, a gem of a man. We're still in touch every now and then. Uh, he was training for NYC. And every morning, I would see him go out. A couple hours later, come back. I got pretty fascinated with this. I asked my mom if I could ask him if I could join. And I'm 12. He's training for a marathon. Pretty obvious answer is no. He's training for a marathon. You can't join him. Um, I'm quite stubborn and bullheaded. Good and bad. So I asked anyway. He said yes. He didn't speak much English at the time. So he was, you know, see, see, come run. Thank you so much. Like, come join. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we went out. I had the Velcro strap-on shoes. <laughs> they may or may not have lit up when you stepped. <laughs> you know, that that <laughs> that type of style shoe. Uh, seven miles later, I came back grinning ear to ear. I was in absolute love. And I've been running for my life ever since. Like, running is how I navigate and perceive the world around me. It's what grounds me. It is what allows me to be a contributing member to society. It stills anxiety. It gives me peace. It gives me joy. Like I can just rattle off that whole list. It, it allows me to live the way I want to live. And when you first did it and when you were a youngster and you know, early middle school ages and things like that, um, I'm assuming it was even more. You know, it was, you know, I know for so many kids that age, like the bike is like independence, right? They hop on a bike and like that is independence for them. Like they're out of the house and they're free. Um, what was running to you? you no, know, not only in terms of a absorbing the world type vibe, but also just like your own, um, you know, here you are. You're finally like out of the house and doing your own thing in, 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 in such a unique way. And I mean, at age 12, not many kids go out for like six to eight mile runs. <laughs> you know any kid right like never mind somebody who you know was having these sensory issues that was so limiting earlier on in your life so talk to me if you could take me back to those years just like mm -hmm. the kind of attachment you had to running and the experiences or emotions that you felt when you were doing it yeah so well you you brought up the sensory piece again and that that's exactly why running was so important because we talked about sensory processing being an issue one of the things that our family discovered pretty early on is that joint compressions provided peace and a sense of safety. And what is running if not repeated joint compressions? It's good, safe, known, rhythmic, continuous sensory input. Um, so that did worlds of wonder for me. And it was my time to go out and escape all of the panic thoughts and continuous soundtracks that anyone who deals with anxiety or, you know, panic that that those type of thoughts would would understand and have um it was the one thing that i felt sort of put me on a level playing ground with my peers i say sort of because it took a solid six to seven years until i was any good at it at all <laughs> um very very injured throughout all of high school um by my junior senior year of high school i was kind of middle of the pack to Middle to pack, middle to back end of the pack. There we go. Um, and then started getting much better my sophomore year of college. So it took some time, but we got there. And then it became like a way to identify, a way to feel less different. Because um, it's, it's never fun. And still to this day, one of the hardest sensations for me to cope with is the sense of feeling disabled, the sense of feeling different. Um, so it's always something that I think to a certain extent I'm trying to outrun. Um, so 
running was a coping me- mechanism from that angle as well. Um, yeah. Does that ever cause you to like not want to share? Like before you said like, hey, this is really important to share this kind of thing because it can help so many people. And I couldn't agree more, which is part of the reason that I was so excited to have you on the podcast. But mm-hmm. at the same time, by expressing it, like you obviously are, are purposely bringing attention to it. Do you So do you ever get in the situation where you either choose not to talk about it or you're trying or you're hoping that it doesn't get brought up at all? When I was younger, definitely. Um, I think less so now. Um, I'm more comfortable with who I am now. And that's still a working, moving, shifting process of growing. Um, but if if my story can provide hope, help, relatability <laughs> to, to other people, I would, I would much rather deal with some uncomfortableness or some getting outside of the comfort zone for, for that reason than to not attempt to share at all. Um, I think the, for me, the senses of feeling different become harder if like I can't do my job as well as my coworker, or it takes me longer to complete a certain task versus like sharing, Hey, this is where I was to, this is where I am. I've become more comfortable with that. But when it takes me longer to do something that might be easy for a neurotypical person, then those sensations are a little bit harder to bite down on. (laughs) yeah. Going back to the beginning of your running career, you mentioned before, like even being outside in the sun, like when you were, you know, a toddler was really tough on you. How was it? Did you, um, I guess that's just something that you grow out of, right? I'm assuming you just don't build tolerance to that, but I don't, I guess I don't know for sure. But like, how was stuff like that as you were of that, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old age group in terms of like, you know, part of running outside is like you experience nature for the, for its, its positives and negatives. So, um, was it different when you were running in terms of like how you experienced nature or at that stage, were you just able to handle being outside a little bit better than you were when you were a youngster? Well, you mentioned the sun and I had prescription sunglasses all through high school. So there's that. <laughs> um, I still wear sunglasses. They're just not prescription. Um, yeah, I, I think in the process of movement, in the process of doing something that brings me peace, everything else is stilled and everything else is calmed. Um, also by, by the age of high school, it's like, okay, I can be outside without excruciating pain. Like some of that processing dies down. Some of that roller coaster becomes less intense and that continues on as you grow. Like the panic attacks become less frequent, a, a little less, um, like pure panic intensity. Um, so it's so yeah, less severe. As, yeah. This is, Thank you. That's the perfect word. The severity of the symptoms. I want to be very clear. I still struggle with all of them. They're still very hard at times, but the severity as a whole trends downward or has been trending downward as I've grown older and done more work and more counseling and, you know, all, all the things you do to try to improve and better yourself. Now, back then, and even as you've grown older and matured, um, are there certain kinds of runs or running routes, I should say, that uh, just work better for you from a sensory perspective? Like you, know, you mentioned before, you've been on trails, you know, whether you're like running on like major, major roads or, you know, very rural dirt roads or, you know, any of these, like, right? there's obviously a full panoply of options here. Are there certain roads that just work better for you? Trails, for oh. sure. hundred percent. When I'm not in like an intense build up cycle like for a road race 
I love trails, rock scrambles. The more technical, the better. Like just really enjoying that kind of thing. It gets even more outside of your head. Like you have to concentrate on every footfall. You aren't worrying about the watch. It's beautiful. Um, I always feel closer to God in nature. I feel more alive, more at peace. It, it's like all the things running does for me, and then it magnifies them in all of the better ways. So I really enjoy trail running. And I mean, honestly, at some point down the road, I'll probably get more and more into trail running, but I have some road goals that I'm not ready to give up on yet. So interesting I, I love the way you describe that especially like the the running on really technical trails um aspect of it where if you want oh, yeah, to run the on gnarly those, stuff yeah like if you want to run on them with any kind of pace like you really have to be paying super attention but it's that that yin and yang too right because you have to be paying super attention but you also can't be crippled by like i need to see everything right you also have to have like that bodily trust no this isn't like necessarily a question about like you know, you being on the spectrum and handling that sort of situation. But like, how do you handle it? Because I struggle with it. Like I struggle with like running a technical terrain all the time. Because for me, it's like, I don't know where to go between the like being aware of everything for my own like safety, but also Mm -hmm. being like, kind of like, you know, just being able to handle it and roll with the punches kind of vibe. Like I have such a hard time threading that needle. How How do you handle that? I don't have a good answer because I have no idea. I kind of feel like I shouldn't <laughs> handle it as well as I do. Um, so when I was 10, our entire family just bought one of those VW camper vans with the pop top. And we traveled to almost every single national park in the country over a two month stretch. And wow. I would just always, this, this was before I officially started running because I was 10, but I would always run up ahead on all of our mountain hikes and like bounce from rock to rock and strangers would be coming down the trail. Hey, did you know there's a kid up there like bouncing around on the rocks? <laughs> and my parents would be like, yeah, he's ours. He's fine. Um, I don't know. It's just always that aspect of it's always come pretty naturally to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm by no means as good on like the sense of technical trails as professional ultra runners. I mean, they blow me away and I'm baffled by how quickly they can cover that terrain, but I've never felt unsafe running on it. That's interesting. So it also like brings up that whole like nature versus nurture thing. Cause like you're on some level, like, Hey, you took to this like efficient water, right? You're out in the trails and you're like, I'm just going right. And obviously that was like an instinctual reaction, right? Like you weren't like, it's not like your parents were like, Hey, please go out ahead of us to the point where we can't see you. Like no parent in the right mind would say that. I'm sure yours didn't either. And at the same time, like, as you mentioned, it's not like you were like, Hey, I ran at 12 and by 14, I was this like, best on the team, you know, future all-state runner, everyone saw my potential. Like you made it very clear like you have built over the built on this over time. This has been a long progression. So you have that like that nature side of like you obviously loved being in nature, but at the mm-hmm. same time it's not like you were, you know, breaking 5 minutes in the mile in 8th grade, right? Which like there's plenty of people not who run 227 do. College. Not until my sophomore year of college did I break 5 minutes in the mile. And then I finally did in an indoor 3K. I looked down at my watch. I was like, that was a PR halfway through. Okay, keep going. But, well, talk to, talk, talk to me about that progression of getting yeah. better over time. Because I think that this is something that a lot of people can learn from. Um, because not that people like are hasty or they want that. You know, they want the 
the um the improvement now, but your improvement happened over such a long timeline here. We're talking over a 20 year period, you know, in terms of like when you first started running to a nine minute PR at roughly age 32 or whatever that 11 minute, 11 minute PR. There you go. See that it's, it's, it is a, a long time horizon here, but at the same time, you've mm-hmm. obviously enjoyed all of it and you were injured a lot of the, the way as well. So what have you learned about, improvement over time that you try to impart to the runners that you work with, or even just people like me who are just trying to get better uh, as we get older? Yeah. Uh, so, well, we'll start back freshman year of high school. Um, I was very skinny, very injury prone and was injured. Um, the majority of my freshman and sophomore year of high school, uh, I was, I believe my goal, my weight goal was to hit 90 pounds. Like we're talking tiny. Were you trying sick. to increase weight or you were trying to lose increase, weight? Increase. Increase. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Good clarification. Um, I started running high school having broken 20 minutes in the 5K one time and did not PR for a very long time. Um, I started at a public high school, which was challenging for a number of very unfortunate reasons. I'm happy to get into it, but we don't have to. Um, and... My junior year, I went to a private school, which high school was still hard, but the environment was much better, much safer, um, and started performing a little bit better. Still had, I was dealing with something every season. It wasn't quite as crippling as it was my first two years of high school. Um, mainly Oshkoshlotters, shin splints, some ankle issues. The standard, you know, red points on the skeleton that runners deal with. Um, I got down to the mid to upper 17s by the time I graduated high school. Was that on the road in a 5K or was that like on, on cross-country courses? That was a course. Yep. Okay. Cross-country. Um, I got my two-mile time down to just under 11 minutes. So things that were like, okay, he's not the slowest on the team. Like we're, we're somewhere in the middle now. Um, and... Me and my family did not think college was an option. Being on the spectrum, test-taking is not a strength. I'm sure a lot of people, neurodiverse or not, can relate to that. Uh, ACTs, SATs, not not good enough for college. But because I was at a private Mennonite school, this coach from Heston College, a junior college in Kansas, with face ties as well, wrote to me, called me up, and I had good grades, just didn't take the standardized testing well. He said he'd ignore the test. He wanted to give me a chance, offered me a small scholarship. So I went out there, got good grades there. Didn't run super well, I think. I actually don't know what I what my PR in the AK was my first year of college. That's okay. Somewhere, somewhere in the 28, 29 minute range. Um, I transferred out of Heston. Wasn't the greatest fit. Wasn't a bad fit. But I mean, who loves running in cornfields? Like mile loop after mile loop um not somebody who does best running on technical terrain i can tell you that that's a good answer uh so i transferred to Montree college which is right in the middle of the black mountains of north carolina did outdoor adventure education for my major and the coach there was very intense which served me well from a physical standpoint i got my pr down to 2620 for the 8k we just I mean, we trained hard, really hard, and I wasn't as injured, so that's good. Um, Montreat wasn't a fit either. 
finally found my home at Eastern Mennonite University with good people, good friends, an excellent coach. Um, made NCAAs my senior year, won the South Southeast region my senior year, um, was, was running like legitimately good times to rank me nationally within cross country. Um, and that's, that's kind of the progression through through the academic years. And then out of college, you know, have a couple months healthy, have a couple months unhealthy. And that cycle continues for a while. You know, there are highs and lows in that for sure. And then it all accumulates at Boston. I love that. Well, it, it really is an interesting, an interesting tale. Obviously, you were a really good college runner. I mean, running in the 26s in the 8K is very strong. I mean, that, that is incredibly good. So, you know, kudos for you for, you know, to you know, put that work in and getting to that point and then continuing to run after college. Because as you know, a lot of people you probably ran with or ran against didn't continue down that path. And here you are uh, putting in the hard work year after year, which is well, it's a necessity too. Like, a, yeah, that's a good it's point. breathing to me. Let me ask you, have you had the same sort of I don't know if clarity is the right word, but, but, you know, um, the clarity and the feelings and just the, the, the lightning of, um, your persona with other, like other forms of exercise or is, does running provide something unique? Running? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Running definitely provides something unique. Um, I enjoy biking. Uh, I've enjoyed swimming from time to time. I like the weight room more than the average runner and have actually taken some pretty deep dives into functional range conditioning, kin stretch, some uh, mobility type work. You know, injuries kind of drive you to try some funky things sometimes. I shouldn't call them funky. They're, they're science-backed and they work well. They're just not running, running specific. Um, and I, I enjoy all of that. And any kind of physical movement helps, for sure. Running is special. And so- by far the, the best. So how do you, are you able to cope um, with some of the mental challenges um, when you're injured? Or does that become just an additional challenge on top of the physical challenge of just being an injured runner? I am able to cope. It is not always easy. Um, This, I've had some... Some of the worst, I'll I'll just be honest and real here for a minute. I've had some of the worst panic attacks I've had since high school during, during this injury with my Achilles tendon. Um, It's been very challenging. Some of them have been quite scary. Um, And it's made me realize that there's still work to be done and some things I have to work through and maybe get some more counseling for some, some trauma-based counseling. Um, And I'm excited to do that. Like I'm excited to, try to continue to improve. Uh, so it's been eye-opening in a way, and I'm always grateful for when, I don't know if grateful is the right word, but when things are exposed that need worked on, because then it, then it means you're not like at your ceiling. There's, there's room to improve, there's room to grow, there's hope down the road, all, all those sentiments. Um, so yes, I can cope without running, sometimes easier than other times, um, but I am. De- I definitely feel the most like myself when I'm able to run and train the way I desire to. G- grateful for whenever there's areas to be worked on, because then you can, you know, have hope for the future and know that there's room to grow, change, improve for for the better. Um, so, 
grateful for what I can learn through this injury, but it's it's not always easy, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. I'll tell you what I can relate to is not relate to, but what I can what I can certainly appreciate. That's definitely a better way of saying it is your openness and honesty and thoughtfulness and talking about this. You're obviously someone who you know, has a really good self-awareness. Like it, it really is exciting to talk to you about all of this stuff because just the way you um, describe how you feel while also talking about the things that you've gone through and the things that you're excited to do in the future uh, is absolutely tremendous. And I can't thank you enough for sharing all of it, Ryan, because it is illuminating for so many of us, not only for people who may be the one in 44 people who are diagnosed with autism and put on the spectrum or the people who love those people, but, you know, for anyone. And I think that this is uh, a fantastic episode. And I can't thank you enough for sharing uh, about your running life and your life in general. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on.